Hello and welcome back to the fireside with me, Jim. I'm really happy you decided to again join me for another toasted tale. If like me you enjoy hearing stories, then you've come to the right place. I think there are interesting stories in every subject, just waiting to be found and shared. In this podcast, we're going to take a random subject and use it as a seed to do some research for one hour And in that time, I'll do my best to find a story that we can all find enjoyable. So let's bring in the Wheel of Fortune style spinner and find out what today's subject will be. Right, okay, so today it's landed on Adrienne Marden, who was an American film and television actress. Now, just for clarity, I'm no expert on Adrienne Marden. I I never met her. I actually haven't watched any of her films. I'm just a guy who likes finding interesting tales and learning a thing or two along the way. So I'm going to go away and do one hour's research into her life and things surrounding her that I find interesting. And I'll come back and tell you any stories I find. So get comfortable and I'll be back shortly. Thank you for your patience. So first, I want to talk about depression, and what some could call the greatest of all kind, the Great Depression. This started in the 29th of October 1929, and it was called Black Tuesday, because on that day, the stocks crashed. This all happened because of the Roaring Twenties, a decade of excess, speculation and consumer debt. If you've seen The Great Gatsby, and you may get an idea of the opulence that happened during that time. It was a time of weak regulation, and it felt to a lot of the people living in that time that the good times were going to keep rolling on. It was fashionable at that time to be in the market. You've got more money than you need? Okay, put that in to stocks, and, well, things are going up all the time, so you're going to have a good time. You're going to make money on your money. Excellent. People were so confident during this time that they were doing crazy things like buying stocks on a 10% margin. I had to kind of find out what that kind of meant. It's the same thing as taking a loan out from your bank or your broker to then buy more stocks or shares. So even if you put down... 10% of your own money, the bank or the broker is like, yeah, well, we are confident enough to loan you 90% of the rest of the money so you can buy this stock, which we've got confidence is going to keep rising. And as long as things go well, that's correct. But what happens when things start going bad? It was an incredibly risky strategy for many, but no one felt that it was. As things had been consistently going well for so long, all they saw it as, as well, it doesn't matter if I'm borrowing this money to get the stocks in, I will be making more money than I need anyway. And then, you know, I can always sell the stock if I want to pay the loan back, the margin back. But the issue is, the individual investor was responsible for this. 
they were responsible for the loan they'd taken out and the stocks they owned. So if things went bad, they were where the buck stopped. And if people started asking for their money back and they don't have it, you can imagine the difficulty. At the time, it created a powder keg. And as I said, on the 29th of October, 1929, it all came down. And this, of course, had a tremendous effect. And it had a tremendous effect at its peak. There was 24.9% unemployment in 1933. And that means 15 million people out of a population of 125.6 million were unemployed. To show a decade later, after all this began, there was still 19% unemployment. Remarkable. A decade of economic downturn. It begs the question, really, about points in time, turning points, changing moments that almost take a status quo and rattle it around. Take what, you, what you're used to, kind of nice in the stable way you're living, and then shake it up, throw it all around and see what lands. And the Great Depression was definitely a moment like that. It took what everyone was used to, the optimism of, of Americans at the time, and put a real big crack in that lens. Now, it was a US stock crash, but it affected the whole world. Economic hardship was felt all over Europe, in all economies around the world, partly because the US was such a big economy. And as we've seen in following economic downturns, if one big economy starts to crumble, others follow, like, like a domino. You push that one over, another one starts tumbling, and suddenly you get this kind of really crazy situation where everything's on fire. For example, the unemployment rate in Germany, Austria, and Poland rose to 20%, and outputs for these countries fell by 40%. Now, as you can imagine, finding a job in this climate was incredibly difficult, and it created an almost societal barrel where you throw all these highly skilled people and low-skilled people into it, and you make them compete for menial labour at very low wages. And these were, of course, the traditional breadwinners of families. These were the men of the families, which, in those times, that was their role, you know. The woman stayed at home, looked after the children, the man earned the money, provided for the family. So suddenly you've got this massive chunk of people who can no longer provide, walking the streets, looking for work, waiting in lines, hoping that someone will give them a job. When I was doing this research, it was unbelievable. There was, there was pictures from the time, and there was one, there was a billboard saying, jobless men keep going. We can't take care of our own. And another that really struck me, it was a picture of 12 or 15 or so men with, they put placards on their front with their, what their job was before. So like a porter or a laborer or ship worker. And on their head was just, please pay me $1 a week. That's how desperate things were. It was $1 a week they're asking for, but still, no. So very bad times. You had movement of people trying to find work. It was it was a societal shake-up. A whole decade worth of this. 
Now, you could do an entire podcast on the Great Depression. It would be quite easy. You could, you could fill hours of content. But this podcast episode isn't about the Great Depression. It's about Adrienne Marden. I wanted to introduce the story in the way I did because it gives insight into the life of Adrienne. Originally from Cleveland, Ohio, due to the Great Depression, she and her family moved in 1932 to Los Angeles, California. California was one of the places a lot of people migrated to because things weren't so bad as other places in the country, or at least the impression was that you could get a better life there. So it was a new beginning for the family, and it was where our story takes us. Adrienne's mother, after moving to the western state, remembered an old friend they had from Cleveland, who previously had moved to LA and had become a talent agent for Hollywood. It's these connections that you can draw upon in difficult times, which sometimes are the lifeline that can help. And of course, Adrienne's family were in poor financial straits. Not only had the parents, they were looking for work, but also Adrienne's mother was looking for film work for Adrienne. Having always been a fan of drama and even majoring in college in theatre, acting was the preferred line of work for Adrienne. So, in this new state, Adrienne's mother gets on the phone and gets in contact with this old friend. It had been a long time since they had spoken, but she was a tough lady. She was relentless and so calls him up, talks, reminisces, connects, brings on the charm, and is able to land Adrienne a meeting. So at the age of 23, Adrienne was packed onto buses and streetcars in this new, sprawling city to meet a man she may never have met before. So imagine now this Ohio native in the big city going up to these, this big talent agency office. And I want you to imagine walking in, talent agent back to you on the phone. Sorry, I'll be with you in a moment. I'll be with you in a moment. Just take a seat. Moments pass. The awkward, quiet. The thoughts may be going through one's mind. How am I gonna, how am I gonna impress this person? What am I gonna say? How am I gonna make my case? give me a job in the Great Depression, my goodness. This talent agent puts the phone down, turns around to greet Adrienne, but stops dead in his tracks. A startled look on his face. I want to see your right profile, he ordered. Turn to the left. Of course, this is quite a startling thing to start off with. Adrienne, surprised, does as she's instructed. Okay, now turn to the right. Again, she complies. Incredible, says the talent agent. He gets up and comes round the desk. He grabs her hat off the wall and says, Come with me. We've got to go now. Adrienne, shocked. I mean, she's heard stories about talent agents and the seedy side of, of Hollywood and casting couches. She doesn't move. And he said, No, it's all right, he said. We're going to the studio. He takes her arm and they rush out of the office, descending in the elevator to the garage where they got into his car and drove for miles and entered a maze of large, forebodingly grey concrete buildings. 
they enter one of these buildings and he goes, you wait here, wait here, I'm going to be back in a moment. The wait, the silence. What must have felt like an eternity later. The talent agent and another man comes out. The second man this time goes, oh, turn to the left, I must see your profile. She does. Turn to the right. She does again. Incredible, again. They motion for her to follow. They, they whisk her off into an inner office, an even more grand office, and go, sit down here. We'll be back in a moment. And then the two men rush off. She's sitting down. Once again, the wait, the silence, the what is going on? She hasn't been told what's going to happen. She's just been whisked off to these offices. The beat of silence happens. The time goes on. And then three men come out. They go, stand up. Look to your left. Look to your right. Incredible! Again, they whisk her away, this time past massive sound stages in the studio and sets that are going to be used for films or are already being used for films. And once again, for a fourth time now maybe, they sit her down and go, wait here. And three men is now replaced by four men. And they go, stand up, look to your left, look to your right. Amazing, incredible. We must do a test. And they try to whisk Adrienne away again. And she goes, no. And I love this. She says, no, no. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten all day. And of course, you can imagine that kind of moment of fast-paced movement, movement, and then stop. Well, well of course. Yeah, sure, you know. And a sandwich is, is, is ordered. <laughs> I'm... I'm going on strike from being bustled away here and there until I, I, I lady needs a sandwich, come on. So after the sandwich is received and eaten, Adrienne is then sent off to costume to pick up a beautiful gown. She gets her hair and makeup done and then she's put in front of shining arc lights and cameras for the final time. She is asked to turn left turn right and stand forward for what she later finds out when talking to the agent is a screen test for one of the films being made by MGM Studios, the illustrious MGM Studios, who were making the film Rasputin and the Empress. Now this was starring the three Barrymores, Ethel, Lionel and John Barrymore. And the reason that these talent agents had been so struck by Adrienne's appearance was apparently she bore a striking resemblance to the younger Ethel Barrymore, or to a younger version of Ethel Barrymore who was playing the Empress in the film. Now they hadn't cast one of the young Tsarinas, the daughter of the Empress, and this test was for that role for one of the young Tsarinas in the film. As a quick aside, the Barrymores are an interesting family. They were a famous American theatrical dynasty who for three generations and well over a hundred years provided America with important actors. And they were a big deal in Hollywood. And so to have three of the Barrymores in one film was amazing. Probably their names of themselves have probably drawn a big crowd. So, after the test is completed, and it's sent through to the executives to be shown, to kind of be analysed, picked apart, 
she gets the role. She gets her first role in a feature film in Hollywood as one of these young Tsarinas. When Adrienne recalls this story, she tells about her first day on set, and she paints this picture of this grand ballroom, elaborate set. She's dressed in a magnificent gown, her hair and makeup having been done by experts, surrounded by hundreds of glamorously gowned extras, when all of a sudden, a hush falls upon the set. At the far end of the soundstage, three figures enter, the stars of the show, the three Barrymores. She was fascinated as she watched them move through the ballroom. With alarm, she then realises that with Ethel in the lead, followed by Lionel and John, they were heading straight toward her. The towering Ethel Barrymore arriving and stared straight at Adrienne. Finally, and she says, quote, It's true. You look exactly as I looked when I was your age. And at that, Miss Barrymore spins on a heel, says, Come, Lionel, and storms off, followed by her bemused brother. John, watching her leave, turns and leans close into Adrienne and goes, quote, It's true. You do look like she looked, but you're a hell of a lot better looking. And then he, like his siblings, turns and moves off, leaving the confused young girl waiting for her first close-up. Now, as the role went, it was quite small. It was actually uncredited as one of the three young Sarinas. But it did have a few lines, and Adrienne was in one of the most prestigious films that MGM was creating that year, which is not a bad way to make your film debut. Now, Adrienne would admit that her role and the role of her two in-film sisters, the other two Sarinas, were mostly decorative. But she did have one dramatic scene, which had a couple of lines in, where the Empress and her daughters were hiding from the revolutionaries in the story. And from there, on screen, there would be a tight two-shot of the Empress played by Miss Barrymore, and the young Tsarina, Adrienne, as the Empress comforts her frightened daughter. This was the section of the film where she had dialogue to speak. But as the camera rolled, Miss Barrymore places her hand behind Adrienne's head and pulls her close into her chest, preventing her from delivering her lines, breathing very easily, or being visible in the shot. It appeared that the 53-year-old Ethel Barrymore had no intention of appearing in a tight two-shot with a face 30 years younger than hers that reminded her of how she used to look. That's one hell of an introduction to Hollywood and the movie business. But she remained involved in television and film for 46 years between the years of 1932 and 1978. On IMDb, she has 129 accreditations. That sounds like a pretty good run in an industry that can be famously fickle sometimes. And it's pretty good going for someone coming out of the Great Depression and through a series of lucky circumstances is able to start a career in Hollywood. Thank you for spending time with me listening to this podcast. 
Learning a bit more about the life and early career of Adrienne Marden was very interesting, and did make me wonder whether going through the hard times of the Great Depression for the right person may have created the right environment to either be brave or desperate enough to create the chances that the people in our story took and be bold enough to make the most out of every opportunity. If you'd like to join me again for a story around the fireside, then I'll be back here every Tuesday and Thursday. Your company would be greatly welcomed. I hope you have a lovely rest of day, and I will speak to you again for another toasted tale by the fireside.